Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. Welcome to the Clubhouse with Mark Allen. Oh, one of the biggest weeks in golf I can remember for a long time, Marco. And uh, welcome to the clubhouse, everybody, across Australia. My name's Julian Bayard. Plenty to get through. What a huge week it was, the US Open at Chambers Bay. So many talking points. Got a huge special guest coming up. We'll get to that very, very shortly. Marco, welcome to you. What a week in golf. Jules, it's... Uh it's almost what, it's five or six days after the final round of the US Open. Mm. We're all still talking about yep. it. You know, every, every, everywhere I'm going at the moment, people want to relive mm. what happened at Chambers Bay. Five Australians in the top 20, yep. a couple in contention. Uh, Adam Scott comes home like a train. Course record. Course record, which is pretty handy. Cameron Smith comes from the clouds. What about uh, him? How about him? He qualified at the start of the week. He was a qualifier mm. at the start of the week. He made some uh, grand, some some real gains earlier in the year at a tournament in Malaysia. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the um, well, they call it a 2014, 2015 season these days because tournaments before Christmas count. And he finished fourth or fifth in a tournament in Malaysia that uh, wasn't always on the books in the US, but now it was. And he's now got enough points um, to where he is home for next year. Twenty. 15, 16. So wow. he's got himself a tour card, which is unbelievable. This comes from a kid a couple of years ago. He was actually going to the tour school to get on the secondary tour. And normally yeah. tournaments start on the Thursday. He's turned up on Wednesday to start his practice round. The tour school starts on Wednesday, Cam. <laughs> so he missed the bus. Oh, no. So he's qualified. He's got to the last stage. He's done everything. Uh, and he's stuffed it up. Come on, Cam. So he's gone from there. He's qualified in Asia. Did well in Asia. Played well in Malaysia. Yep. And now, uh, don't worry about tour schools anymore. Fascinating. Don't, don't, do not worry about going through a whole season of web.com and hopefully trying to get in the top 25 and messing around that way. He has played his way on to the biggest <laughs> tour in the world, Huge. courtesy of a 280-yard three-wood that finished four inches from the hole. <laughs> Unbelievable. Shot of the tournament. Unbelievable. Extraordinary. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right, what we got coming up, big show, yeah. Cameron McCormick. This bloke is an Australian. He's the coach of Jordan Spieth. He's yeah, going to join yeah. us very shortly well, on the program. Now, fair You get the big guests on this show, Mark. Well, no, it's good. It's good to speak to an Australian. He, he grew up in uh, Melbourne. He got a college scholarship to a little college in Texas. And now he is the director of coaching at one of the biggest clubs in Dallas. Yep. And that's how he first met Jordan Spieth. I'll let him tell the story. Mm. But think about this, okay? Butch Harmon, he was always a big name in golf. But when he started coaching Tiger Woods, he went from... Pretty big to enormous, an industry, Butch Harmon, an industry to where he was charging a thousand dollars for an hour lesson. And if he wanted him to turn up for a day, just a corporate day, mm-hmm. you know, just you know, <laughs> let's say Croc Media have their golf day. If you wanted Butch Harmon to turn up, fifty thousand bucks for him just to turn up and say a few words. Yeah. Hank Haney was then the coach of Tiger Woods. He got himself his own reality program. Yep. Now, this kid, an Aussie kid, is now currently what looks like he's going to be the coach of probably. The best player in the world. Yep. I, I think he'll go past Rory McIlroy at some stage. Yep. Those two will battle it out. Yep. Those two will battle it out. But if Jordan Spieth wins the Open Championship at St Andrews, this kid, Cam McCormack, this little guy who's been coaching Jordan Spieth for a while, his net worth will multiply by a million percent. Yeah. A million percent. To where he'll be charging a thousand US for an hour lesson. He'll probably get 
You know, if he's any good, if he's, if he's talented, he'll get a reality TV show. <laughs> he'll get all this stuff. Ooh. People will be flying in from around the world. Anyway, we're going to speak with him a little later as well. We will. Looking forward to that. All right, let's get stuck into the tournament. Chambers Bay. We yep. spoke about it last week, what sort of a course it was going to be. Yep. Spieth won it. Dustin Johnson, we all know what happened on that final hole. Yeah. Firstly, the course. What did you make of it? Um, I, I wouldn't want to play there on a regular basis. Yep. I, I would never join a golf course like that. I'd never ever in a million years. I think, uh, and we're going to hear from Gary Player a little later as well. I think Gary was on the right track. That yep. We shouldn't be making golf courses like this. It just shouldn't happen. It should not happen. Um, what I, my, my observation from the week is they're lucky they got four perfect days. They are so lucky. Yeah. If they got the weather that is normally associated with up there in Seattle, rain, windy, it's right on that sound. If they got four and five club wins, even just two days, it would have been a disaster. Balls yeah. would have been blown off. No one would have known which way the ball was going to wobble on the putting greens. The greens were a disgrace. They, I've never seen greens, just the surface, don't worry about the slopes. I've never seen greens in the since I've been playing golf in a major that looked like that. Never yeah. seen it. So that was really bad. Especially in America. Yeah. I mean, you look at the British Opens now, even the British Open golf courses, even their greens, they roll reasonably well. They mm. roll pretty true. These these were horrible. Some of the slow mos some of the slow mos <laughs> of the balls tracking along the green. It wasn't like a buoy table. No. They were bouncing up and down. So I understand where the players come from because you can get you know, just like if you went just like if you went to the casino. And you were just betting on black and red mm. on the on the roulette table, even though it's fifty fifty chance of black or red coming up. Basically, unless that rotten green thing comes yeah. up, you can get on the bad run yeah. of good and bad luck. You can get on a great run too. You know, you might you might be on that run of fifteen reds in a row. Mm -hmm. You might be on red every single time, but you can get on bad runs as well. Exactly the same can happen on bad greens yep. to where you can get on bad runs on good greens. Very hard to get on a bad run because, by nature, they're good. If you hit a good putt, it's online and away she goes. So a lot of the players, let's say half the players were on a bad run, the other half were on, a de on, on the positive side of the run. I mean, you just don't know. Mm. You actually just don't know. And, you know, if, if a putt's going in the middle of a hole, you only need to get one bump early on, and the early bump pushes it off a lot of, you know, inches towards, you know, if you get a, if you get a late wobble yep. and the ball was going in the middle, Pretty much going to go on the yeah. left or the right hand side. If if you're hitting a twenty foot putt and you get it and you hit the ball online and you get an early wobble, then that putt can miss by six inches. Yeah. It can miss by six inches. So you can be you can have good and bad luck, is what yeah. I'm saying. And that's why the players didn't like it. No. But I don't think we're going to see a tournament at Chambers Bay <laughs> anytime soon. I'd I'd, I'd well, be really surprised. I think from a viewer point of view. Watching it was as fascinating to yeah. watch yeah, yeah, yeah. as I've seen golf. And I, I can't remember a golf tournament since Adam yeah. Scott won yeah. that has created and captivated the Australian market, yes. the Australian audience, as much as this golf tournament did. Whether or not it was because it was on during the day and the timing worked is another question. But I think it just captivated people and they were fascinated watching these professional golfers yeah. have to play differently from the way they normally did. Yeah, I understand that. And I agree with you. I agree with you. And like I said, the perfect conditions... Yeah. Made it mm -hmm. great, but gee, the tournament was on a knife's edge. <laughs> it really was on a knife's edge. And that last day, I mean, there was there was not a club. You know, all those flags up and down the 18th fairway, not a breath. No, they were all just limp straight down. If there was a four club or a five club wind, which is really easy on a golf course next to water and with no trees, 
I mean, it would have, it could have been really ugly. And yep. you know, groups of two taking four and a half hours to play, that's no good. No. So, yeah, you know, I think people would go to that golf course and play it to say that they've played Chambers Bay. But that round, from what I understand, normally takes six hours. Really? Six hour day. Wow. Out there, that's no Ooh. good. And saying that, you play Pebble Beach, it takes you six <laughs> hours as well. But because people go to Pebble Beach, they're taking a photo on the tee, the fairway, and every yeah. green. Yeah. So that's the reason why it takes a long time, you know, five and a half hour rounds at Pebble Beach because so many photos are being taken. But Chambers Bay, just the locals, it's taking five and a half, six hours. Yeah. I don't want to play on that golf course. I don't want to play. That's why I always say the beautiful old golf courses, you know, the, the beautiful old American classics and Kingston Heath and, and New South Wales Golf Club mm-hmm. and, and Royal Melbourne Composite, actually East and West, they're fantastic. Royal Adelaide's a beautiful golf course. Um, uh, yeah, the one in Perth, I'll think of it in a second. I used to have the course record on it. I should know it. Oh, just uh, drop that in. <laughs> <laughs> I just did. Uh, that golf course, yeah, they're, they're beautiful old classic greens and they're small greens. So if you've got small targets, you know, if you miss the target, you're not just two putting from 60, 50 feet. You know, that's not happening. You're actually chipping onto a flatter surface. And I think that's a better way. It's a better way to toughen the golf course mm. is to have small greens to where if pros miss it or hit a bad shot, they're in a bunker or they're trying to chip it close rather than just two putting from 40 feet. All right. Jason Day. What about a week for Jason Day? Vertigo. Yeah. He was in contention. He fought back. A lot of admirers out there for Jason Day. Yeah. We spoke about him a couple of weeks ago and you had some interesting thoughts on Jason Day. Yeah, a couple Day. of weeks ago. He's always sick. Yeah. He's always, he always hurt. said he was, wasn't quite... Pushing through it enough? And what did, now, you, what did well, you make of the weekend? Well, it's another one, you know. It's another. It's another illness that we found out about Jason Day. So, you know, it's a bit like a. It's a bit like a footballer who's always hurt. Mm. I mean, if you're always hurt, you're not going to play too many games, mate. It's as simple as that. Now, Jason, it, you know, it's obviously it's not a team game, but we want him to play well. But if you're always hurt, then you're not going to play much good. I don't think. No. I don't think. Or if you've got a, if, an illness. So Jason needs to, I don't know, fix his body up, get yeah. get it all done, get it get it over and done with. I mean, you know, we always to laugh at Steve Elkington because he's allergic to grass. <laughs> That's true, he was allergic <laughs> to grass, but you know, Steve fixed it up. Yep. So you know, I, I don't want to be here talking to you about Jason Day and a sore thumb again. You know, yep. at the Open Championship. So he's got to do whatever it takes to get things right. Um, you know, if you got a sore thumb or you got a sore wrist or you got a sore back. Or you got vertigo, or you, you know, homesick, whatever. Yep. We, you know, get better. Mm. Go and get better. Fix yourself up. Go and get better because you can play, Josh. You are a gun. Play some you good are, golf. You are a jet. How far was he hitting the golf yeah. ball? Yeah, I actually think it helped him. I've been critical of Jason before because he hits it too hard. I think uh-huh. I think he hits it too hard. I've never seen anyone hit the ball as hard as him. And if if, if he was winning majors, we'd go. Wow, everyone will start hitting it really hard because he's a gun. But, you know, when I look back through the pages of history, no one hits it this hard every single shot. Nobody. Mm. And, you know, down the stretch he's faltered a few times because I think he's trying, you know, he's trying to push nine irons instead of just gripping down on an eight iron and, and taking it easy. You don't need to push every single shot. You can hurt yourself. Mm. The one you've got a sore thumb and a sore wrist and sore back and everything else. You know, if your body's twisting around a million miles an hour, who knows what it causes? Who knows? But he's got to take it easy. And because he had vertigo this week and he was a bit dizzy, he didn't look nearly like he was taking these massive cuts at, at every single swing. So I think it hurt. I think it actually helps him. Yeah, right? I think it actually helped him, the vertigo, in a, in a crazy way. 
but yeah, we need we we need him right. We need him to get his body right if we, if we want him to win majors and contend all the all the time. So many different stories to talk about. The first, we'll, we'll get to Jordan Spieth as the winner yeah, when yeah, we yeah. talk to Cam McCormick shortly. Yeah. Uh, but Dustin Johnson's finish, he was there all tournament. Yep. And then three part in the last. Yeah, well, look, uh, Jordan Speed double bogey 17, which got him back in it. Yeah. And then Dusty, after Jordan's birdied 18, to, to get back to, I think it was three or four, whatever the, the final score was, uh, Dusty had just hit a great shot to 17. So Dustin stood on that last hole, one shot back, a 600-yard par five. And he needed to thread the needle with a drive under pressure. Absolutely slotted it. Yep. Beautiful. The next shot, a 250-yard shot to a, a green where you couldn't really go past a hole, otherwise you were dead. Mm-hmm. He hit a five-iron, 250 yards, 225 metres, perfectly weighted straight at the pin. So tick, tick, under enormous pressure. He's then got this putt that he couldn't attack, and he didn't attack. He didn't try and hold it. You couldn't try and hold that putt. Yep. You were at the mercy of, uh, of gravity. Yep. Uh, you're you're at the mercy of the wobble of these U.S. Open greens, and there was no chance you could go. All right, I'm going to try. And, I'm going for the win here, and yeah. I'm knocking an eagle. You couldn't. And his practice strokes, you can tell if you're yeah. a pro. His practice strokes were gentle. There was no. I'm going to hold this. And then when he actually hit the ball, it was so gentle. I mean, if you go back and have a look at these practice strokes, they were one inch, one inch backswings and just yeah. tiny little things. Um, and he did. He just he just you know knocked it four foot past the hole and that wasn't his fault because when you watch when you watch the replays of Cameron Smith's three wood that ended up four inches away I thought his ball was going to stop six foot short but it kept on trickling and trickling yeah. and trickling and went to four inches it was you know a freak a yep. freak of nature that that shot so in my view under the highest pressure imaginable he's slotted a drive he has ripped a five iron and he's hit what he probably thought was a perfect putt yep wobbling that gave him half a chance. Now, it's gone four foot past. I've looked at the replay of that second putt a thousand times. I reckon it's wobbled halfway and missed. Yeah. So we look at it and go, you've choked. You've really failed under pressure. I half give him an out. Yeah. But I still think it's going to scar him horribly. Yep. I think it will. I think he, I think he will be scarred. I mean, he's failed under pressure in majors. Yes three times now and that's uh, now the fourth uh, so three times this is now the fourth I hope I don't know how he's going to come out on the other side I mean if you, if you repeatedly get hit on the head with a big sledgehammer eventually you're not yeah. going to get back up Yep. so hopefully it's just a little tap with you know a feather duster but I, I can't see people I mean the next time he walks on a driving range everyone's going to look at Dustin Johnson going what the hell happened Dustin <laughs> you know they won't say it yeah They'll be looking at him, thinking it. Stay with him for a while. He will feel that. Mm. He will feel that. And that's the hardest thing to get over. Last talking point, because we're going to get to a break. Tiger Woods. Wow. Yeah, he's playing hopeless golf, isn't he? He's yeah. hopeless. I mean, the golf he's playing at the moment is hopeless. It's left, it's right. He's not hitting it very far. His putting's horrible. It's hopeless. Yep. That's it. It's hopeless. Got to get to a break, Marco. Up mm. next, Cameron McCormick, the coach of hey. Jordan Spieth. Great Australian story. We'll chat to him next on The Clubhouse. Welcome back to The Clubhouse. Yeah, across Australia, this is The Clubhouse. Mark Allen and Julian Bayard in the studio. Marco, what about the special guests we're about to chat to right now? I'll tell you what, we've almost claimed Jordan Spieth. We've almost, we've almost claimed him because he did win the Australian Open. And that's what's kick-started yes. everything as far as we're concerned down here in the south uh, of, the, of this globe. Mm-hmm. 
but also there's another Australian connection. His name's Cam, Cam McCormack. He's from Melbourne originally. Now he's based over in Dallas, and he is the coach of the newest superstar in the world of golf, Jordan Spieth. And Cam joins us from Dallas. Good day, Cameron. G'day, guys. How are we doing? Mate, we are well. We are well. We want to talk about your journey to where you got to at the moment at some stage as well, Cam. But being the coach of this kid, you've been, uh, as far as I know, his only coach uh, since uh, he started playing the game. You must, well, I don't know, maybe you're expecting it. Um, how do you feel about the new stardom of your star pupil? <laughs> yeah, he's been a star in my eyes for quite some time, I guess, ever since I met him. I had uh, high hopes. And he shows many a marker of ability that suggests he was destined for great things. Now, at this age and this great, maybe I didn't quite foresee that, but certainly we're both, everyone as part of the team is enjoying the ride immensely. So, uh, always looking for that next pinnacle or that next peak to climb. The next peak is coming up here in uh, just short of three weeks now at the uh, Open Championships in Andrews. Tell us about when you first met him. When he forked, when he first walked in the door, what did you think? Yes, I walk up, up to him. He's warming up in the driving range. I shake his hand and he goes through the uh, formalities of introduction. Then we sit down in my teaching studio and start to talk about who he is as a player and his goals. And uh, in a matter of minutes, he says that um, he wants to win a Masters. And we checked that one off. Well, he checked that one off earlier. <laughs> How, year old How old was he? How old was he? He was uh, just... Just shy of his 13th birthday. So 12 years old. And he'd been playing golf at that point for probably uh, competitively since he was eight. So a good four years. So he started golf game when he was like three or four years old. So after he said the Masters, you know, maybe when he was 15, did he walk in and say, I want to win the Grand Slam? Did he ever say that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um, yeah, we've never had any discussion about the Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's where we find ourselves. We have now, we have now though. <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine. Now, I mean, what we're going to see at the Open Championship at St Andrews, um, look, uh, we haven't seen it for a, while, a long time in the men's game. In the men's game, we haven't seen it. Now, when, he, yeah. when, when you make contact with him, he comes back with the US Open trophy, and I saw on Twitter he, he put on there the US Open trophy, meeting his green jacket, which was very, very nice. I mean, if we throw a claret jug in there as well, one, two, three, in uh, one calendar year, uh, this is, you know, we're talking, we're going back to Hogan, back in 1953. I mean, it's ridiculous. <laughs> it would be a beautiful triple, but then I think we'd have an odd man out on the, uh, you know, the the whole, um, the, the trophy scene in his house, so we'd have to just go ahead and get the fourth in there, so we have uh, <laughs> a couple of pairs, right? Yeah, hey, you betcha. Hey, Cam, I wanted to ask you, so much talk about the Chambers Bay Golf Course. What's the mindset like for someone like him going into a course like that? What does he, what does he do differently? Uh, very little in terms of um, kind of skill preparation. We're just checking the boxes. I guess one unique aspect is you were destined to have lots of putts that were beyond 60 feet, and they weren't just flat ones. They were slopey ones. So we did a lot of touch control work, and the putting green at, um, at Chambers Bay is about the size of the MCG, so you had no problem <laughs> doing plenty of that. Outside of that, you know, he had great ball striking leading up to the week in the off week after Muirfield. Um, the, the previous event, he finished third in, so it was just kind of riding that wave of momentum. Um, he didn't hit it his best in the last two rounds. Uh, he got a little off track, but I curve it a little bit too much right to left because that's what we've been working on. Yeah. And that, as long as we can um, 
I guess, downregulate how much it uh, curves right to left. That should bode well at St Andrews, from what I understand from other players, and then just the, um, what you hear about St Andrews being a, uh, a drawer's golf course, a little yeah, person that curves it to the left. I so, can tell you that's the way to uh, play. You just draw it into the middle of those double fairways the whole way around. It's perfect. Exactly right. <laughs> hey, hey, um... Yeah, so, so, just, just with his golf swing, and uh, you know, when I when I look as a former professional at his golf swing, and I see a really, well, I reckon it tends to be a little bit open club face at the top, which is fine. I mean, so many of the greats played with that, but then I see, uh, you know, paired with the open club face, almost a chicken wing type release, and and he hits the draws. Uh, I mean, that to me is kind of against what we teach our amateurs all the time. How how do you explain yeah. the way he swings a golf club? Yeah, all along. I've tried to um, not take away what he did really well and just try and amplify and improve what needed improvement. Now, sometimes that was full modification. If we show you, uh, or if you look at the video of where he was and his results, where he is now, there's a lot of um, better structure to it, but there are some remnants or legacy of his fingerprint, which is relatively weak grip, relatively neutral face in this, hold-off finish that he always had from an even weaker face position at the top back when he was at 12. So he came to me hitting predominantly loopy draws, mm. even from a weak face position. So from a very early age, he had learned this this um, squaring movement to prepare the club face to um, produce draw flight, even from a weak grip. Right. So I was trying to give him a board skill set in terms of trajectories and also flight without touching the um, true DNA or true fingerprints of how he's like and how his brain knows how to move. Hey Cameron, we might get you to move closer to a window or something. You're just breaking up a little bit. Now, just just while you're talking about his golf swing, we're hearing things from a, a former number one in the world talking about release patterns. And it sounds to me mm-hmm. you as a coach have not fiddled at all with a release pattern of somebody who can play. When you see Tiger Woods and his coaches talking about release patterns, can you explain to our listeners just how dangerous dangerous that is to try and change something that you've tried to keep ingrained for a long time? Yeah, sure. So for the purpose of the listeners, and um, I think you would agree with this, that the club face is the most uh, important, and the player's awareness of where the club face is and how it's being applied to the ball is the most important uh, feature or facet that demonstrates the player's um, high caliber in terms of ball striking. No doubt. The last thing that I want to do is is um, mess with that, destroy that. And I'd even go a step further by saying that what we've tried to do with Jordan is we've tried to, and I tried to do with all my players, is I tried to add versatility in there without changing um, what their stock is, just build from that as a foundation. Nice. And, um, and that goes for, uh, let's say, the ballistic movement, so full swings full-blooded drivers or uh, all the way down to full pitching wedges or even the uh, the finesse shots, the mm. uh, 30 to 60-yard range wedge shots where he's trying to hit different spins and different trajectories. So there are different release patterns that exist, but I pretty much put him under a condition where I ask him to produce these flights and let those learnings emerge organically, just mm. intuitively with, with him as a player. Now, sometimes... When the player doesn't have those things and I need to actively teach them, I definitely will discuss it. But, yeah, largely leaving what they do quite naturally intact. 
So tell me, with with his type of release pattern, it, it strikes me that yeah, if he, if he goes through with a very square club face, a club face that doesn't turn over due to the due to the chicken wing, then the short irons must be deadly accurate, as accurate as you've ever seen, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And I've been around some pretty darn good players. And when Jordan's on, he can create really, really tight shapes, so slight draws, a slight phase, and, and can create uh, multiple different trajectories as well. He's pretty uh, beyond impressive, quite frankly. Um, so, yeah, for sure. And you know what? With this holistic philosophy of leaving things alone and just trying to amplify skills, mm. that's why he can go week in, week out without too much of a concern that his ball striking is not going to be there, or his other skill components can't bail him out. You know, he's a, he's a classic all-rounder, as we put it in cricket, that um, he does everything really well, and that's why the commentary, unfortunately, have this perspective of you know, he doesn't do anything outstanding, and I would actually suggest, and the stats bear it out from Mark Brody here over the States, that he does everything really, really well, uh, and in fact, better than um, any person on the planet right now. So, Cam... Butch Harmon, when he was coaching Tiger Woods, his price for a you know an hour lesson skyrocketed. So did Hank Haney. He got himself a TV show. You are now the coach of the number one, the number one. People will be flying from all corners of the globe to come and have a lesson with you. What's that hourly rate gone up to uh, just lately? <laughs> it actually hasn't gone up, mate. Oh, uh, what are you doing? Uh, come on, Cam. A thousand yeah, an know, hour. I need a business manager. Do you want to come over? <laughs> yeah, I'll help. I can turn that into something. <laughs> yeah. I can turn that into a pot of gold for you. <laughs> hey, hey c- congratulations. Now, sensational work, Cam. It's uh, been a huge week for yourself and Jordan, mate. The Grand Slam is on, and we wish you good luck, mate, for the remainder of the golf season, mate. Thanks for joining us on the Clubhouse. Thanks, Mark. Jules, appreciate it, and all the best. Marco, we've got to get to a break. Plenty more Clubhouse still to come. Welcome back to the Clubhouse. You're with Mark Allen and Julian Bayard on the clubhouse across Australia. And, Mark, a lot of criticism of the Chambers Bay Golf Course. Yeah. None bigger, perhaps, than one of the legends of golf. Now, my, my ears pricked up here because Gary Play has played more tournaments on more golf courses in more countries than anybody else in the history of the game. And not once, ever, ever has Gary Player criticised even the smallest thing. Yeah. Every time he's turned up at a tournament... The course is magnificent. The condition is perfect. And he's been fantastic like that. He's been, you know, he's probably been paid to turn up most of the time, and, and that's what he does. But I have never in my life heard Gary Player criticise a coffee being the wrong temperature. <laughs> Did he have a crack on the Golf Channel? Now, we, we, we're yeah. playing this from the Golf Channel. Have a listen. But he was clearly upset with the golf course that was presented for the US Open. I'm standing in the most beautiful state in the world, Washington, Seattle here, unbelievably beautiful. And we're playing the US Open, this great championship, uh, a group of people, the USGA, that I have great respect for. But this has been the most unpleasant golf tournament I've seen in my life. I mean, the man who designed this golf course had to have one leg shorter than the other. It's hard to believe that you see a man miss the green by one yard and the ball ends up 50 yards down in the rough. I mean, it's quite, and can you imagine, this is a public golf course. This is where we're trying to encourage people to come out and play and get more people to play the game. They're having a putt from 20, 30 foot and they're allowing 20 foot right and 20 foot left. 
I mean, it's actually a tragedy. It's 7,900 yards long. Can you imagine? The world is suffering from shortage of water. Can you imagine the water this course will take? I don't know. An average golfer playing this golf course, I'm telling you, if he's a 15, 16 handicap, he's going to shoot 110 and he's not going to go home a very happy man. We've got to make golf where it's quicker, where it's more enjoyable. Get back to their family. They're away at work all week. We don't want a husband and a wife to argue because he's taking too long and neglecting his family life. We're going about it the wrong way. The golf balls, and this is happening, why are they building these crazy golf courses? Because they're trying to be defense. It's in defense of the ball going too far. We've got to cut the ball back for the pro golfer. Leave it for the amateur golfer. We're making golf courses longer and longer, more expenses, more water, more fertilizer, more labor. People are resigning. They're taking a beautiful golf course, making undulating greens, bunkers in front of the greens, and the folks are resigning, and golf numbers, as far as amateurs are concerned, is going down. We don't want to see that. We love the game. We've got to promote it in the right way. Professional golf has never been so healthy, but we're in trouble amateur-wise. Mr. Player, you, you mentioned the USGA. Wouldn't you certainly agree, though, that they had the best intentions? A municipal golf course with a great backstory in a part of the country that has never hosted a major championship. You understand why they chose to do this, right? I certainly do. And what they did at Beth Page tremendous to take this is what we got to do but you don't bring them to golf courses like this i mean this is devastating i mean to see a man miss the green by one yard and end up 50 yards down there people caddies falling and hurting their ankles and the knees and players falling i mean one lady whose son's playing in the tournament she says i got lost i couldn't even find where i was going and some of the holes i couldn't see my son hitting the ball i mean this is this is terrible and to take golf look at Pebble Beach is a public golf course. The United States, USGA have chosen great golf courses. This is not indigenous to American golf. This is a British Open course. Imagine taking the British Open golf course and taking it inland. There'd be, a, there'd be an outcry. Well, Mr. Player, let, let's take this a step further. Is, is your problem larger with Robert Trent Jones Jr., the architect, or Mike Davis of the USGA in the setup of the golf course? I think you've got to give the architect the blame, but we go back on the tour when we first started playing. When old Mr. Jones, Trent Jones, designed golf courses, the players used to complain terribly because the greens were so undulating and the bunkers so deep. And it's impossible to play those golf courses. You go to Augusta, they've got undulating greens but they're playable you go to many of these golf courses the greens are undulating but playable these greens are virtually did you see how these pros with three putting yesterday one after the other there's uh, sergio three putting from 20 foot to make the cut i think on the last hole i think he missed the cut i mean it's unbelievable seeing a man have a putt from 20 feet and he's hitting it 20 foot to the right imagine a weekend golfer coming here to enjoy the game we want them to have good golf enjoy themselves go home happy we got to start building more 12 hole golf courses and a public golf course must be built with flat greens wide fairways and not so many bunkers so he can come out with his son or his daughter encourage them to play golf we need more rounds of golf for the golf manufacturers to make more golf 
golf clubs, more people getting interested in this wonderful game, which is an education and enabling us to travel around the world and meet people. It's a friend-making machine. Don't let's chase people away. Do you know how many golf courses you can buy in the world today for a dollar? A dollar you can buy a golf course because we've gone the wrong way. We've made the wrong choices. Mr. Player, obviously you're very animated in defense of the amateur golfer who would have to play this golf course the other 51 weeks out of the year. But on Thursday, they had the low, they had the most rounds in the 60s in the history of this championship. You have two leaders who have a total of 135. So the, 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 the golf course is attainable, it's gettable. There, there's a lot of players that have played extremely well with respect to score. Well, yes, but have you seen they had to say, I've spoken to a few of the players, they said they've set it up a lot easier because they realize what a monster this is, and so they've had to set it up a lot easier so that the players at least have a chance of playing it. But I tell you what, there have never been so many people that missed the cut that are so happy to go home. And I'd really love that. I'd really love if it'd be a wonderful thing if we could take the announcers that are announcing on this tournament this week and give them a lie detector and see if they're telling the truth on television. <laughs> I'd love to see that. <laughs> With thanks to the Golf Channel for that audio, Gary Player, scathing. <laughs> scathing. Never, never have I heard no. him talk like that. Never in a million years. All right. And, 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 you know, what he's talking about, it, it aided to the big collapse. I mean, that moment of Dustin Johnson, like I said, I reckon it's wobbled. His second putt that everyone's counting him for, it wobbled about six inches off the putter. If, if he gets the same wobble six inches from the hole, it goes straight in. Nah. But he got the wobble early, it pushed it offline, and he missed the putt. Made him look bad. Speaking of heartbreaking finishes, Marco, we thought <laughs> what we'd do, bit top of a three, laugh, top, top three. three heartbreaking finishes slash... I mean, we're not going to call Dustin Johnson's a stuff-up because you think it yeah. bubbled, but uh, stuff-ups or heartbreaking moments in majors to finish a tournament. Righto. Uh, Doug Sanders. Now, I'm going way back in time. I think it's early, early 1970s. This is number three. At yeah. the home of golf, he's dueling with Jack Nicholas at St. Andrews for the Open Championship. Doug Sanders wore a lot of pink and purple golf shoes, which back in the day was pretty gutsy. He was also probably the number one pants man the game has <laughs> ever heard of, well, ever. Ever? But hang on, that gets in the way of actually what he could achieve. He, he could actually play. Doug Sanders could play. And uh, on the uh, 18th green or the 72nd hole of the St. Andrews uh, tournament, the Open Championship back then in the 70s, he had a three-foot putt to win. It was a tough putt. It was downhill. It was left to right on bumpy greens. He got over the putt and he froze. And then he stopped. And he went down to pick up something that he thought was on the line. He got it. He threw it away. He got over his putt. And he missed that three-foot putt by a million miles. And it was the worst, horriblest stroke I've ever seen in golf to this day. I was lucky enough to talk with Doug Sanders not long ago. And I asked him about what did he pick up. And he said, I didn't pick up anything. I was just really scared. I didn't want to hit the putt. <laughs> That's exactly what he so said. So did you make the next one? He made the next one. What? Had to play Jack Nicholas in an 18-hole playoff, Ooh, and uh, Jack Nicholas won the playoff the next day. Yep. Number Humble. two. Number two. Um, where can I put this one? Well, I'm going to put Greg Norman there. Ooh, I'm going to put the Thought he might feature. Yeah, 96 Masters. Yep. When you're eight shots or seven shots in mm. front with one round to go, with one round to go, and uh, and you start hitting balls in the ponds, and you're the number one player in the world by a million miles, and you've never won it. That was that was a heartbreaker. But the number one, 
most heartbreaking moment in golf yep. was again at the Masters in a playoff. Scott Hoke was in a playoff with Nick Feldo. He had a one and a half foot putt to win the Masters. And when your name rhymes with choke, <laughs> the last thing you want to do is miss a one and a half footer. But Scott Hoke missed that putt. So I only just put him in front of Greg Norman because his last name rhymes with choke, yep. which is really That's unfortunate. That's really fair, very unfortunate. But they're my top three. Yep. Well done. Good on you. Very nice. By the way, I choked like a pig most of my <laughs> career. So if you, you're asking somebody to, to actually talk about chokes, you've got the right person. Yep. <laughs> Thanks, Marco. No worries. All right, Masterclass is next. This is the clubhouse. Marco's Masterclass. Time to wrap up the show and get some tips from Mark Allen with the Marco's Masterclass. Righto. This is in honour of Tiger Woods, yes. believe it or not. <laughs> I hope you're listening, Tiger. <laughs> well, actually, I got last, it from him. We've I said got that from the him. last three weeks. Uh, now, last week, the commentary was really good. Greg Norman obviously has an affinity with a lot of the players and probably has the ability, uh, you know, before the Fox telecast starts or when he's on a break, to actually walk out in the driving range and talk to the players and caddies. And that's when you get the lowdown on, on what they're actually working on. Uh, Tiger Woods or Greg Norman mentioned that Tiger Woods is trying not to widen the gap on the way down. Now, not many people probably could work out what he was talking about. There's a there's a great illustration about Ben Hogan and in his five modern fundamentals of golf, and it's a picture of Ben Hogan at the top, and there's a bit of rope from the end of his golf club to his belt buckle. And Ben says, when the belt buckle starts, the hands start at the same time, basically, and and, and it causes. Um, you know, everything to work together. Tiger Woods, he's the other way. Now, his gap widens. So that piece of rope from the top, from the from the uh, end, mm. end of the golf club to the belt buckle, it stretches way too much and stretches early. So if you if your gap widens early on the decks, on, on the backswing, you, you lose control. The club comes down yeah. in funny directions. And it, this applies to everybody. Most golfers' problems stem from hitting the ball too hard. Now... You hear a million times that you start the backswing nice and easy. This is a great way of thinking about it. So if the gap between your belt buckle and hands doesn't widen on the way down too much yep. until you get hit about hip high, then you can hit the ball as hard as you like. But I know a lot of coaches think about, or they talk about the arm staying in front of the body. You hear that all the time these days. The arm wants the arms want to stay in front of the body on the way down. Try thinking about it this way. Try not to widen the gap. So the gap between your hips... And your hands. You don't want that gap to widen on the first move on the way down. It'll fix everything. You actually, you're looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking no, about. No, I do. I'm It'll make just a lot of sense. Picture It'll, it in my own game. You need to time. get a golf club. You yeah. need to get a golf club out and swing it yeah. and actually feel this tip. Yeah. So when you're at the top, I don't care how you get there. All right. Most people's backswings are reasonable. Yep. But where it all falls apart is that you don't use everything together. So this one where you feel like the gap doesn't widen. Uh, it's a good one, mate. It's a good one. It helps a lot of people. Have a look at it this week. I need a couple of tips. The only person that's not helping is Tiger, no. and he's the one who put it into my head. But I promise you, most people, if you yeah. don't have, you know, his his hips are unbelievably quick. It's a tough one to fix. Uh, most people don't, their hips don't move this fast. So don't let that gap widen between the belt buckle and your hands on the way down. There you go. Got about 60 seconds, so we've got to wrap up. Yeah. You mentioned Greg Norman on the new Fox Sports. What did you think of the coverage of the US Open? Uh, I reckon, I, I thought, the graphics were sensational, actually. So the graphics they put up showing you how far it was to carry the bunker and then how far it was to the uh -huh. pin, I really like that. I thought uh, the graphics where they showed, um, you know, if you hit the ball 250 metres, the, the fairway 70 yards wide. If you hit it 
300 metres, it's only 30 yards wide. That sort of stuff indicates people to how, how caddies think and how players think. Um, I thought Greg's insight, when he actually had a chance to speak about what players were doing, was fantastic. Yep. But he didn't do it enough. Right. I, I don't think Greg should be there to tell you that the guy's got seven irons, 160 yards to the pin. Right. Don't tell us that, Greg. Use your insight. But I, I think he, I think he, I think he'll get better for he's, he's better for the run, old Sharky boy. And I reckon he's going to be one of the best commentators we'll see. He was good. I thought he was good. He got criticised a lot. Needed more Cam Smith though on the final day. Needed didn't a lot. We? Yeah. Well, you wouldn't even know he was playing. Was he playing? Yeah, I think he was. Yeah. It says tied fourth in the. Uh, we saw his last on the shot. Leaderboard. Yeah, the last shot was a nice one. Didn't even they didn't even show the putt. They should have shown him putt. Yeah. Show it, show it. Give us some emotion. Tap it in. I want to see the emotion. He's just yeah. played his way onto the US tour. Yep. Give yeah, give us something. Yeah, Fox Marco, lift your game. Cam's back next week. It's been a pleasure over the last month to be You've with been you, a Jet mate. You've been fantastic. You're welcome in the clubhouse anytime you like. No, it's been great. It's been a big uh, month and a big tournament this week, and uh, it's been a pleasure to be on. And uh, Cam will be back next week on the Clubhouse. You're a star, mate. G'day, Mike Hussey here. Get on board Australia's best fantasy cricket game, KFC Supercoach BBL. It's fun, free and easy to play. Play today at supercoach.com.au. T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.